The contents of the law report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about what we don't know about hormones. Which is a lot. We think we know, but we really don't. Well, I, I would call it room for improvement. All right. Because I'm a glass half full sort of person. Sounds body. good. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. I've known you in a long time. I've never thought of you as a glass half full type of a person. You haven't? Is, are, is that true? Well, you know how people always put out kind of an opposite persona to the world as compared yeah. to how they feel internally? Yeah. Hello! <laughs> Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm <laughs> doing great, Patty Devers. How are you? I'm confused. I'm not even sure I understand what you just said. Mission accomplished. <laughs> this is a podcast. It's called The Lab Report. Welcome. Welcome. You are so welcome to be here. Wow. Or we welcome you here. However you want to take that part of it, too. You're I'm welcome. just spitting knowledge all over the place. I don't know what you're spitting over there. I don't either. Uh, probably just saliva. <laughs> yep. Actually. Yep. It's where we talk about things like uh, functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, you know, a whole lot of the, the, the gray areas of life and testing and medicine and health. We dig into those gray areas. Yeah. And if you're new, welcome. And if you happen to be one of those glass half full people, you're in the right place because you're here with Michael Chapman, who agrees with you. I'm smiling. <laughs> well, hopefully you would have gone to iTunes or Spotify, perhaps. Follow this show, rate, review, you know, share with your friends, all those things. I mean, it's a new year, right? It's, it is. It's time to turn a corner. Plus, I mean, even a blind squirrel can catch a nut once in a while. Fair. So. What does it have to do with waters, water glasses? I'm just saying I can be, uh, I have the capacity to oh. be positive, to okay. be optimistic. Okay. Yeah. I think my mom would agree with that. And if, if she wants to comment, she can always send her comments to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address where you can reach us for any sort of question, you know? Well, that'd be fun. We love getting emails, especially from your mom. And also, she doesn't listen, to be fair. She doesn't? No. Oh, I thought she was a big fan. She's, she's, she doesn't listen. <laughs> well, maybe your mom would enjoy our Genova Connect website where consumers can look at Genova products and buy them for themselves directly. That's connect.gdx.net. We can also connect you with a healthcare provider in your area that's a Genova client to help guide your healthcare. Yeah, and you know, we do have this promo code. Here we go. Yeah, we have this promo code. It is the Lab Report 20. You just type that in and you are going to get 20% off of anything that you order through Genova Connect. So uh, that's pretty sweet. It's a lot of money. And, you know, we should really try and get that Endo Plus, this new uh, endocrine product that we have up there on Genova Connect. I think there's going to be plenty of people out there who would want to uh, get some form of the Endo Plus, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, there are some hormone tests on there already. There's like melatonin yes. for sleep, there's yes. ASP for stress, there's yeah. sex hormones and the one-day hormone checks. There's a lot of hormonal sure. testing. I think on the that urine estrogens people, yeah. some people are going to want. Agree. I think the salivary sex hormones some yep. people are going to want. Yep. So, yeah, we should uh, we should talk about that. Mm -hmm. Speaking of hormones, Patty Dever. No, I know. Did you call me Patty Dever? I did. That was weird, huh? That was weird. I just Houdini'd that S. I don't know what happened to it. Was it was disappear. It's okay. It'll come back. Speaking of hormones, Patty Devers. Yes. Uh, man, right? So well, here's the thing. 
there's a lot to know and a lot we don't know about hormones, which was what we're going to talk about today. But I just have to say right up front, with the launch of the Endo Plus, we have been putting together, working very hard on this huge support guide that's, you know... 80, 90, I don't know, you'd have to tell me it's how many lot. pages it is. It's a gazillion. It's a and here's the thing, right? You basically assigned that to Dr. Christine Crawl, and I'm pretty sure that's that was just basically a death sentence. <laughs> right? I like I don't think no. I, I haven't seen her. I yeah. hear that she's very much under the weather. <laughs> she is actually I, she hasn't been in since before Christmas. No, I, I will say this. So I, I'm worried. No, I will say this. This endocrine Bible is coming out soon. It's hundreds of pages of long, long. It's thousands and thousands of literature articles that had to be read, and it was a team effort. She didn't do all of it. She and I split it. Poor Christine. I what just about hope me? there's. I just hope there's blood still going <laughs> to her fingers and toes. But I think the point to make there is that when you read thousands and thousands of articles about hormones, you start to realize, you know, hormones are really complicated, and there are there's an echo chamber within our space where people are damn sure we know exactly what this means. We know exactly what's free, what's bound. <laughs> we know what this means. We know what that means, and then you dive into the literature and you're like, wait, that might not be true. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to revisit all of these things, challenge everything that you think you know, and I think that's what we're going to talk about today on this episode. Some of the things we think we know, but yeah, maybe yeah, yeah, we don't. Yeah, I think right up front, it's good to understand, and this it's just be a little humble, mm-hmm. right? Just come at this with a fresh lens and be like challenging. Yes, this is science, right? Right. Challenge what you think you know, um, and. That's that's kind of the fun of being able to to work at a place like Genova is because you know we're they embrace that of we course. want to we want that's to right. be accurate. That's right. So I think there's some there's lots of different places to start really mm-hmm. because there are so many question marks about some hormones, how they circulate, how to test for them, what that means, what the clinical relevance is. So I, I don't. Do you have a, a place that you're burning to to start from a hormone perspective and some of the you know assumptions that we make? I think a nice easy place to start is with saliva because here at Genova we do a lot of testing of hormones and we use varying matrices like we test hormones in saliva, we test them in blood, and we also test them in urine. So if we start just with saliva, we know that saliva is an ultra filtrate of your blood and then when hormones come into your saliva, it would reflect biologically active or free unbound fractions of hormones. Now, of course, the salivary hormone concentrations are typically like 1% to 10% of what's circulating in your blood, mm-hmm. but it's a good way to monitor sex hormones using saliva because it's at home convenient. Yeah, saliva is interesting. It's always been kind of like, well, why? we're like measuring stuff in saliva. That seems like when you think about it from a fresh ears perspective, you're kind of like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? <laughs> it's like Warren used to joke. You'd be like, oh, well, we do a booger collection, you know? <laughs> It just kind of seems odd, but but yet, yes, we can get actually one of the nice things about saliva that you say is uh, the hormones that circulate in your system, in your blood, right? The most of them are bound up by these binding proteins. So uh, not so the case with saliva. They sort of park the, the binding uh, proteins aside and then go into the saliva in their free active form, um, which is probably in part why you see such a smaller concentration, raw concentration of these hormones in saliva as compared to in the serum. That makes a lot of sense. My question too is, okay, so we've got bioactive hormones in the saliva. Why? 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 What are they doing in your mouth? Right? What's 
what's the body's purpose for putting active bioactive hormones in your saliva? Well, for all the reasons we just talked about. So the the, the salivary gland has uh-huh. a, a vascular component. Saliva is an ultrafiltrate of the blood. What does that mean? Meaning that it has a vascular component. So with, if hormones are lipophilic, they can cross and permeate various membranes, including the membranes into the salivary gland. The question then becomes, how does the salivary gland work? Does it actually like contract? How does it make saliva? What's the inner workings of the salivary gland that would make it not the concept of just spilling into the saliva? How does it contract? This is perfect. Yeah. This is perfect because it really does, in my opinion, expose exactly the, where how we should be thinking about these sort of things and how we're not currently thinking about these things. Because there's a major assumption in, in what explanation that you just laid out as far as it's vascular. And so you'd have things crossing back and forth. But from every, everything that I've studied about physiology, I would have to assume that the rates at which these things traverse across vascular tissues is very, very dynamic, and it's very likely very different tissue to tissue. Sure. Right? There's right. no homogenous right. sort of ways in which these things are, are just randomly transporting across each other because that's not very functional. That, that wastes a lot of energy. These things tend to be very tightly regulated and have specific reasons for doing so. And so my question of a, is maybe more of a conceptual question. Like, wh- why are we thinking that just because hormones are are coming into the saliva that that means that that's how it's coming into all tissues i mean if i were to think about it a little bit of a step further i would ask the question maybe there's some roles that these bioactive hormones play within the the mouth itself Mm -hmm. um and then the rest of it is probably detoxification it's probably removal of excess sort of the same way in which you would think about it from the skin emunctory yes okay so is the concept that perhaps you, you mentioned it. You can have different levels and different ways of crossing membranes in different tissues. Is it different person to person as it relates to the salivary gland? Perfect. Perfect. And so, and the, the whole reason why I'm thinking this way is I have this article in front of me by uh, Kenoshi et al. It's called Salivary Concentration of Progesterone and Cortisol Significantly Differ Across Individuals After Correcting for Blood Hormone Values. What they found was that there was a tremendous amount of between individual variation. And they actually categorized, they stratified them into four different groups uh, between low salivary secretors all the way up to high salivary secretors. Um, and they found that. Uh, it w- even when they controlled for things like ethnicity and BMI and all these different things that people actually had a lot of variance in how much hormone they put into their saliva. Now, that one interesting thing about this is that variance actually tend to be steady across time for that one person. So you can be a super secretor, but you're always going to be a super secretor. Right. Yeah. Which has a couple important takeaways. One is that if somebody seems to be a good candidate, maybe they're not a super secretor, but they're a good candidate for saliva, you feel pretty confident that you can use salivary testing on them more long term. But the other good takeaway, I think, is that exposes that the system has variance Mm -hmm. and we don't know what is even governing that variance yet. And so when we have these sort of assumptions of like the saliva means this because it's an ultra filtrate and so therefore it's just a reflection of tissue or say whatever constant that you want about it, these things are not constant. And in biology, typically things are never constant. <laughs> like mm-hmm. stop, mm-hmm. you can't ever apply a single rule to one thing. It just doesn't work that way. So we have to think can, a, a little bit less reductionistic and a little broader. 
all right, so if we bring this back to clinically, what does that mean for someone? If you have a patient in whom you do salivary hormone testing and their levels are higher than you would expect and perhaps they are a super secretor, you can still use salivary testing because to your point, you can track them over time, like an N of one. I also think we should be investigating what exactly the role of the secretion of hormones in the saliva is. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if it turns out that the biological role for that is detoxification, then there you go. You're going to have variances based on how much hormone a person is creating, how much is going through their liver, being processed, detoxified, and then ultimately excreted, right? There's some people more likely to, to be excreted in the urine as compared to the sweat, as compared to the saliva, as compared to the stool. You know, it's like we've got to put the puzzle pieces back together instead of saying it is in, it's just this. And one of the things that we see a lot here at Genova with salivary testing in particular is uh, we kind of get some funky findings depending on variations in topical hormone administration. That's a very common thing that we'll see. Um, and we try to enact a lot of ways to prevent that from happening to make sure the collection is done correctly. But you know, there's so many different variables when it comes to topical hormones. There are a lot of variables of topical hormones, especially as it relates to salivary testing, which you said is kind of the sticking point here. It can depend on where a person puts that hormone. Yeah. Like if you're applying it somewhere on your shoulder, yeah. you're going to have a different salivary result than on your leg. Yeah. So that's one thing to think about. The other thing to think about is a lot of times people are using compounding pharmacies, right? And you can differ compounding pharmacy to compounding pharmacy first and foremost. Sometimes you're compounding more than one hormone. Yeah. I don't know about the pharmacokinetics there. But also when you compound hormones, there are various delivery systems that are needed to use topically. So there are things like there's a Vanna cream, there's a Versa base, different bases by which you deliver hormones. And one study showed transdermal carrier Vanna cream versus a Versa base cream. The Versa base delivered more than four times as much progesterone to the skin. So there are so many different variables to take into consideration when you're doing topical hormones and salivary testing. Yeah, and another thing that's in the support guide that you mentioned is even just the thickness of someone's skin right. is going to have an impact on absorption. So a lot of variables. What I would say if you're trying to control the variables as much as possible is that when you are giving a salivary test to one of your patients and you have them on topical hormones, establish a protocol, right? And make sure you're not just saying, all right, go take this test. Like that's not going to mm-hmm. do it. You need to make sure that all of these things that you're doing it the same way and that the person is collecting it the same way every single time, because that's the only way to get as close as possible to controlling variables. You're never going to be able to control every variable. That's just, right. that's okay. Right. That's normal. Sure. But um, to get as scientific as possible to avoid contamination, even things like using latex glove with the last couple administrations, I could see, make a huge case for things like that, mm-hmm. you know, making sure avoidance of extraneous hormones if at all at all possible right we always talk about the shopping cart we talk about the shopping cart like meaning people use topical hormones and then they go shopping or they go to the gym so you're exposed to hormones especially all over the, the place. gym we also get wipe down those machines people <laughs> we also get strange results and someone's not even on hormones and we always go to well look at all the things women put on their skin all the yeah. time face creams shampoos makeup they're actually hormones in some of those things so you have to keep all of these things in consideration there's hormones and there's hormones in the water let's face there's it hormones everywhere. okay as long as we're challenging our thinking on topics let's let's rethink the concepts of bound and unbound and you said it earlier that your hormones travel around in your blood bound to proteins to help deliver them to target sites things like sex hormone binding globulin or albumin and we say when something is bound it's 
biologically inactive it's mm-hmm. bound if something is free like in your saliva it's bioavailable and free it's active okay now we know that to be absolutely true never question it that's fact we all know it right and and so the thinking here is that hormones are basically fatty molecules for the most part right they come mm-hmm. from cholesterol they're big old they got these big old rings mm-hmm. they're very uh lipophilic and if they're going to float around in your blood the serum is aqueous so mm-hmm. Like lipophilic doesn't do real well in serum. So most of it's bound up like 95% when it comes to things like progesterone, testosterone, estradiol, likely less so with cortisol. Um, but and th- and so that helps them get around the body in the serum without wreaking havoc. Uh, but at the end of the day, the parts or the part of the hormone that's bound up, which is 95%, is basically inert. It doesn't do nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is what's called the free hormone hypothesis. Uh, it's been around for quite some time. And uh, for the most part, when you see, look up research articles, you hear this over and over again. It's basically just spit out like it's foundational knowledge. Um, but I think it's important to note that not everyone would agree with this. Mm-hmm. Not ev- And a lot of people actually have some good evidence to say that, like, again, this is not so simple. It's a very reduction. It's a nice model. Mm-hmm. It's very reductionistic, though. Um, and that, like all hypotheses, uh, they're either limited or sometimes incorrect, right? And so I think one bit of evidence that is important to, to hear is there are some people who, for in the case of testosterone, uh, they don't have any sex hormone binding globulin. And like so, ever, like a human being, with correct? Sex, they have a defect in, in the production of sex hormone binding globulin, which you would think would have a massive impact, especially on testosterone, mm-hmm. uh, because it's all free, right? So now you have all, but those people actually have zero clinical symptoms. Hmm. Um, they have normal sexual maturity and development, um, and so that kind of puts a little bit of a question on what is actually going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also now know about these proteins that are called megalin and and megalin is kind of interesting it has a lot of different roles it's involved in like apoe um and uh, ldl particles and things like this it is a surface receptor and its main role is actually to bring in different lipophilic molecules from the serum and one of those being sex hormone binding globulin amongst many others on this list uh but it will bring in sex hormone binding steroid complexes into the cell which then have action on the androgen receptor. There's an article right here in front of me, Megalin and Androgen Receptor Gene Expression uh, by Dr. Uh, Chris Poole. But there's several others that, uh, it's not the only molecule and surface re- surface protein that does this either. So a canonical regurgitation of this you know, free hormone hypothesis, I think is, needs, <laughs> it needs more challenge, mm-hmm. right? We don't, and it doesn't make a lot of sense really. To think like, oh, well, your body makes all of this total testosterone, but then most of it doesn't do anything, and really only this 2% does. Like, okay, well, why? Again? I come back to why. So so the point is, so you have testosterone bound to sex hormone binding globulin. It can hit a receptor site where a megalin will find it. Pull the bound testosterone Correct. into the receptor and Correct. have androgenic effects. It also works on albumin. Okay. Like I said, among many other uh, lipophilic particles so for that thinking could you also then think about free testosterone as kind of a degradation product 
I don't know. This is the thing I'm talking about. (laughs) Like we have these, we have these assumptions. Who knows? Right. And so the degree to which free testosterone might actually be, you know, more of an effervescent form, immediate, fast acting, but you know, has maybe even is less bioactive and Mm -hmm. has less of a biological role than total. Like that's still a hypothesis. This is not gospel. Well, then here are other questions. Where are the megalin proteins? Is it on every receptor? target receptor or is it in certain tissues like are are megalins the same person to person i would assume not right just knowing everything that we know about the body they are pretty widely distributed but there there are variances there's they're a lot higher in density on uh, nephrotic tissue than other tissues Mm -hmm. and so uh, do they vary from person to person i don't know the answer to that but uh, i know where i'd place my bets (laughs) again it's just challenging what we think we know because we probably don't know it that being said, as you've pointed out, we have been in the literature for, oh, I'm going to say two years researching yeah. this stuff. And there's a ton of great literature on free testosterone and yeah. measuring free yeah. testosterone. Yeah. There's tons of great literature. However, every once in a while, you come across an article that kind of throws itself in the face of that good literature or disputes it in some way. And the other day, I walked into your office and you were obsessed with this one was it what was it like a review what was it it's an editorial, an editorial. It, it was a it was a reply to a an article that had come out discussing free testosterone and the best ways to measure it and the language was so phenomenal that this we was, be- an, it was one of the most amazing editorial research Ele- editorials eloquent. i've ever read eloquent i actually had to look up some words because i'm like i don't even know what these i had to go make mean. popcorn basically <laughs> to, to finish it because i was like this is so good this needs popcorn well maybe we should read it I mean, certainly it's worth reading some of it. I would suggest everyone read it, but um, I'm not going to name it by name just because <laughs> protect some anonymity. Yeah. Um, but I do want to give it the, the, the kind of due respect and, and kind of aura sure. that it deserves. So I'm, if I'm going to read a part of this, and I'll probably just read the very end, uh, I'm going to do it the, the way it needs to be done. Let's do it. I'll just take the slightest amount of creative liberty. Hmm. So I imagine the end of this would go something like this. Dear sir, clinically, the appeal of free testosterone is a misplaced desire for concreteness deriving from a loss of confidence in clinical judgment on the indications for prescribing testosterone. It seeks an authoritative foundation for the endocrinologist when overt clinical facts fail to provide a therapeutic option in the face of a strident, internet-confected patient demand for testosterone. However, refashioned, The appeal to free testosterone misconstrues, or denies, a deficiency state arising from a dubious calculation. Well-intentioned and wishful beliefs in free testosterone will eventually have to give way to recognizing that testosterone treatment should be confined to replacement therapy for authentic pathological hypogonadism, unless and until there is sound evidence of efficacy and safety in other currently speculative indications. In the meantime, such numerical prestidigitation serves only to blind the practitioners to the hollowness of the beliefs upon which it is based and the pointlessness of the pursuit. Good day. Okay, so I'm guessing he's not a fan, but... The biggest question I have is, what is prestidigitation? Prestidigitation? What is that? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> I have I, my dictionary has never had so much work <laughs> as when I was going through that article. I mean, it was, it was incredible. It was good. 
And passionate. Yeah. I love that. Flowery. Okay, so I've got two things. Um, the first one is, I feel like we're going a little long with this, but I feel like there's a lot more to cover. Oh, um, I feel like we can do four or five of these, like a series I, of things. For we don't sure, know. for yeah. sure. And so maybe we should do that. Mm -hmm. Partly because that British accent did a number on my voice. Like It, it took I, a lot out of you. I'm, I'm feeling like I just gargled a sea urchin. Great. Now I got to go Google what does a sea urchin look like. And I have to look up that prestidigitous word. So what are we here for? Homework. Next time on The Lab Report, What We Don't Know About Hormones, Part 2. We're just going to keep flying in the face of everything we think we know. For sure. really crazy. We should probably check on Christine. Yeah, good point. Make sure she's okay. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Digitation. Prestidigitation. Prestidigitation. Magic tricks performed as entertainment. <laughs> wow, that's oh, even better. It. Prestidigitation. Oh, I'm going to start using that. You should absolutely start using that. The question I have, it's such a good word. It's so insulting in, in a sort of <laughs> subtle way. Uh -huh. And I don't know that you will ever be able to do it without actually hearing that <laughs> voice and the music, and the music behind yeah, it. For sure.